Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the US as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. You walk into your 11-year-old son's bedroom. His back is to you. Over his shoulder, you can see that on his phone, he is watching a violent pornographic video clip. How you react then may well have a significant impact on the rest of his life. Will you yell? Ignore it? Freak out? The best thing you can do as a parent is have a calm conversation with him about it, based on the facts of what pornography does to him and to others. Are you ready for that conversation? I feel like we've been through that phase, but as I read that in the book we're going to talk about today, I thought this is every parent's nightmare Mm. and also their fear of, I don't know how to react. I don't know how I should react. And so I think that this topic is really helpful today. So I hope people will lean in. Yeah, obviously, I read from a book that it's uh, sitting in front of me right here by John Fobert called Protecting Your Children from Internet Pornography. And guess what? We've got John in the studio with us today. John, welcome to Family Life Today. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. I mean, when I read that, you know, as we were picking up your book and reading it, as a parent thought, that is a reality Mm -hmm. for so many of us as parents. I mean, maybe you haven't literally walked in your 11-year-old son's room But that could happen, and I know that many listeners, that has actually happened to them. Absolutely. So you put that in your book, you know, and obviously one of the first questions would be, so how do we prepare ourselves for a conversation with a son or a daughter if we, you know, found that as our reality? I think we need to get more information on how awful the pornography industry is and how we can explain to our kids, you don't want this in your life. It may seem attractive to you at first, but it's going to go after your brain. It's going to go after your sexual functioning. It's going to go after things like anxiety and depression. And these are things that you don't want in your life. So I think it's important not to freak out if you see something like that happening with Mm -hmm. your kid, but also not to be totally disengaged and feel like you can't do anything. I mean, parents, especially... With kids of 11, the parents are going to have a very strong impact on their kids, mm-hmm. and they can still speak into their lives uh, in meaningful ways. I hope they always can, but I think they still can at age 11. And just talk to them very matter-of-factly, leading with the head and not necessarily the heart, um, but leading with the head on, here are some things that the pornography industry is trying to do to you to trap you into this way of thinking about sex. And here's why our family doesn't think that that's the right thing to do, and why I hope that's not what you'll choose. Well, let's dive into some of that, but you got to give our listeners a little bit of background. I mean, here's sure. a guy who's written a few books about pornography. I'm guessing that isn't what you grew up thinking. That's what I'm going to do with my life. No. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about what you do. You're a college professor, right? Uh, yes, I am. I'm a college professor. I teach students uh, how to write their dissertations. Uh, I work at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. But I got involved in the sexual assault prevention movement early on in my career about 30 years ago. And then about 15 years in, I started to notice that there was a connection between pornography and sexual assault. And at the same time, I heard the Lord calling me to do something that would be even more directly related to the church. And not only that, but you're a dad. I am a dad, and that's important. And you have a 14-year-old daughter. I do, and a 12-year-old son. And so this is close to your heart. It's very close to my heart. 
Very. Your book is full of all kinds of science, brain, rewiring, things that parents need to know. How prevalent is this? It's very prevalent. I mean, right now, if you take a look at the statistics on how many high school students have seen pornography since before they go to college, it's about 93% of the boys and 64% of the girls. The boys statistic doesn't tend to surprise too many people, but the girls statistic does. Has that gone up, John? It has gone way up. Um, You have to think of the porn industry as a business that wants more and more money, more and more markets. And so the label um, violent pornography, they'll call it feminist pornography to try and get some women to watch it. And so how would they draw kids in too? So they're marketing and strategizing of how not only to reach men, but women and kids. Would it be different for kids as well? For kids, they try to make sure that if a kid looks on Google for the word sex or something like that, that it'll go straight to pornography. And so they'll see a picture, not necessarily a description. So if a kid is 11 years old and he hears the word sex at school, Frequently, he'll go to Google to find out the answer on that. And that there's a lesson in there, too, and that is that parents need to teach their kids, come to me if you have a question about something, don't go to Google, and we can answer them together. I mean, that obviously implies that there's a relationship between mom and dad or mom or dad with their son or daughter. Right, right. I mean, right. it's like that has to be cultivated and built. Right, right. And so you're saying, man, a simple search could end up... Leading often the does. Often so, does. John, when do we start? I think so many listeners are saying, when do I start having those conversations and what would it sound like? I think that's a great question. I would start having those early conversations when they can first understand language, like I'm thinking around three or four years old. What? What kind and, of conversation? And that's, that is a very important question. You don't say, well, this is pornography <laughs> and this is, you know, what yeah. that's all about. But talk to them in, in the way that you say, you know how we like to take pictures of each other in our family? Yes, we do. That's a fun thing. Now, we would never take a picture of someone without their clothes on, would we? And you get the kid to say, no, we would never want to do that because it exposes their private parts and private parts are meant to be private. So because we wouldn't take those kinds of pictures, we wouldn't look at pictures of people without their clothes on. So I think that's a message we can send when they're three or four, which is important to build on for later conversations. A very key point in all of this is it needs to be an ongoing conversation with you have kids. It's not the talk. It's the conversation that's continuing out over many years. My son is a little bit immature for his age, not that he behaves in silly ways, but He's not as sexually mature in terms of asking those questions yet. So I make sure he understands what sex is, what it leads to, what pornography is, how we shouldn't be looking at that, how you need to function with your thinking brain, not your feeling brain. If you ever come across it, some basic tips on how to avoid it. But he's to the best of my knowledge, he's actually right at that age. Eighth grade is when the big tipping point happens, when people tend to see it, if not on their own cell phone, on a friend's cell phone. And he's in sixth grade, so uh, with a pretty sheltered group of kids. Now, that's not to say that they're not looking at pornography, because I believe some of them probably are. But he hasn't quite crossed the threshold. Yeah, I asked my oldest son when he was in middle school. Eighth so grade. How many years? Twenty plus years ago. Yeah. How many of your wrestling buddies ever see porn? And this is before it was on their phone. This mm. is before, yeah, this before cell phone. And he said, every day. Wow. He says, they talk about it, see it every day. I hear about it every day. You talking at Taylor University. Uh-huh. And I went to Ball State, so Taylor's uh-huh. just down the street. And you quoted a stat that, the you know, a kid under 13 
exposure to porn went up from 14% to almost 50% in three years, from 2008 to 2011. Yes. So as a parent, I mean, of course, that's the phone. And uh, as a parent, you're just freaking out like, oh, my goodness. So that means if I have two kids, one of them, you know, statistically has already seen it. I mean, that's scary to parents. So how should a parent react? I think a parent should react calmly and have lots of conversations with their kids about how pornography harms them. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, to give them that information so that they can have those in-depth conversations with here are all the different ways that pornography can harm you. Because they're thinking about the benefits. They're thinking, ooh, I get to see a naked person. Mm -hmm. And pornography today isn't your grandfather's playboy magazine it's very violent it has actions which lead women to vomit and it has all kinds of other actions in it that are really so far removed from god's design for sex between husband and wife that it's really scary and so we need kids to know this isn't how sex was meant to be and it's not something that god intended for us to watch others doing And you're saying this isn't just a Christian perspective. There are other authors, there are other people that are not even believers Mm. that are fighting for this because of the harm that's coming. There's a number of documented harms of pornography, and many in the secular movement are leaving pornography behind and encouraging their kids to do the same. So it's an exciting time to be in the anti-porn movement. We've reached the tipping point of establishing definitively through the social science research that pornography is harmful. Now we need to get the word out to kids that this is harming your life and you'll never get it back if you try to use it. Let's go into some of those harms. Okay. What you wrote about. First, pornography objectifies the person in the image. It makes a body into an object. And the more you objectify, the more likely it is to commit violence against them. Now, that's a theoretical argument, but they actually did a research study where they took a look at men who were uh, in one of those MRI machines where you can see in Inside their brains and they showed them pornography and what they found was the parts of the brain that light up when men see pornography are the parts of the brain that lead to objects not to people So men really think that they're looking at an object when they're seeing pornography, not to a person. And that makes it so much more likely that they'll be violent with an individual. And so one of the things that's also plaguing our society today is the skyrocketing rates of anxiety and depression. Well, nobody's talking about the fact that excessive pornography use leads to anxiety and depression. There's peer-reviewed research, and this isn't a Cosmo study. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I look at only studies from peer-reviewed research that's been done with rigorous scientific methods. And so anxiety and depression are going up. Another sad thing is loneliness. And when you think about the COVID pandemic, people have gotten more lonely as it is. Well, there's a vicious cycle with pornography. The more lonely someone is, the more they'll use pornography and then the more they use pornography, the lonelier they get. So you get trapped in this cycle of loneliness. Because when you think about it, using pornography tends to be an activity that one does by themselves. And so it leads to more loneliness, which I think is sad. We were made to interact with other people. We were made to fellowship with other people. And I would hope that that would be where we would want to go. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when you hear about anxiety and mental health and issues right now, especially Mm -hmm. During and coming out, hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic. Right. 
I've never heard not one time anybody connect any of that to mm-hmm. pornography use. Mm-hmm. And you're saying there's a connection. And then there's a connection to many other things, too. Life satisfaction. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to have a life where you're satisfied. Sexual satisfaction, for that matter. I mean, if you take a look at the erectile dysfunction rates over time, in the 1940s, less than 2% of men had erectile dysfunction. If you look at today, a third of men under 30 have erectile dysfunction. And it's from all this pornography that they're consuming. And if you wonder why you're seeing on TV so many erectile dysfunction medications, 10, 15 years ago, it was for Viagra and they targeted to old men like Bob Dole and, and that sort of thing. Today, you'll see a young guy who looks cool sitting on a couch saying, hey, you know, use this product for your erectile dysfunction trouble. Well, we didn't used to have erectile dysfunction among 30-year-olds mm-hmm. or younger, but we do now. I remember yeah. seven, eight, maybe 10 years ago, it had to mm-hmm. be one. Walking through an airport to get on a flight to go speak at a family life weekend to remember marriage getaway. Mm -hmm. And as I was walking by a bookstore, I look in and I see the cover of Time magazine Mm. on the cover. And I bought it because I was so shocked. It said porn kills or porn harms. It had a big, you know, circle with a cross like do not do porn. And I'm Mm -hmm. like. A secular magazine (laughs) is like making a statement about porn is bad. So I opened Mm -hmm. up the article and it said what you just said, that Mm there is now a generation of young men and women who are grown up in a different culture. It isn't I have to sneak around and find a magazine bookstore somewhere. Nobody knows about it. They've been exposed their whole life since they're young boys and girls to pornography. And the article was riddled with young men saying Stay away from this. Yes. What it's done to me and my brain and my yes. sexual life, I had no idea how harmful it was. So right. it was secular science endorsing the moral you know, values of the Christian faith to say this is bad because of this, but science was now backing it up. Yes. And so you had young you know, men, basically, who weren't church-going boys right. getting married. Saying, this right. is really right. messed up my life. Exactly what you're saying. Right. The nice thing is we have the science on our side. The science mm-hmm. isn't on the pro-porn side. The science is on the anti-porn side. So we just need to get the word out over all the many different ways it's harming people. And these aren't harms you want in your life. Mm-hmm. I can't help but go back to the MRI situation. Oh, yes. Now, men in this MRI start seeing women as an object. Have they ever done that MRI on women? Not yet that I'm aware of, but that would be an interesting study to do because they're just now starting to do studies showing sexual dysfunction in women who watch a lot of pornography. It really wasn't until five or ten years ago that the people who were doing research on porn realized that women were looking at it too. And so the first step in in the research is to document the problem. And so now we're documenting the problem, but not necessarily looking to the effects that it has. Has on women, so it's so interesting. Growing up in the '60s, mm-hmm. some of my first memories were of pornography. Wow! And I grew up around a lot of family, friends, cousins. Mm-hmm. I was one of the younger of like 15 kids mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. My cousin and I were given the girl cousin were given the task of collecting or finding or taking pornography from anybody in the neighborhood, and kids were running in and out of houses and then taking it back to the older boys mm. to have. Mm-hmm. And then growing up, I think my brothers had it, and it was no big deal. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading that of even course. in the second grade. Of course. And so I'm thinking of how that even changed my mind. 
And even growing up then as a teenager, now I also have sexual abuse in my background. Mm. And so I'm seeing this power that a woman can have over a man mm-hmm. to even control the situation in sexual context. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, that messes you up. Mm-hmm. All of that messes mm-hmm. you up. And then I give my life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And now that's this holy, beautiful, I couldn't switch it. Mm. I think that we just don't understand the effects and the dangers, as you're saying. And I mean, I've lived that. We've lived that. And so I think that it's really important, even as moms, we can think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I have a daughter. But it is because it has a negative influence, even on our future and our marriage. And a lot of our daughters are being pressured by their boyfriends to send them nude pictures of themselves. Yeah. That's just going through the roof. And it's sometimes expected in dating relationships that you'll send a nude picture. It's not looked at as a big of a deal. And we need to send a message as parents that that is a big deal. That's your body. It's the only one that God will ever give you. And it's something to keep to yourself. So what does a parent do? I mean, your subtitle is, you know, ways to help parents protect our kids. How can Uh we protect our kids? Have as many ongoing conversations about pornography as you can from as many angles as you can. So talking is critical. Talking is absolutely critical. What do you mean about uh, by angles? Angles, I mean, talk about the angle of it hurts your sexual functioning. It hurts anxiety. It hurts depression. It warps your brain. It gets your brain used to a different type of sexual behavior, but also that it's not in accordance with with God's will. And sometimes what we need to do is even if something seems tempting, we need to resist that temptation. Mm -hmm. And it's a good opportunity to resist temptation in our culture. We're supposed to be countercultural as Christians, and this is one of the ways we can be countercultural. Now, when you say ongoing, is this something like every week? That's a bit much. (laughs) (laughs) That would, I think, traumatize the child to some extent. But every month, I would think. uh, So you're figuring out some way to sort of enter in and invite them into a conversation. Give us an example, like (laughs) of your daughter. Like, let's say this is something that's just happened recently. What did that sound like? What that would have sound like is something along the lines of, I know that you've heard of the word pornography. Has anyone showed it to you on their phones at school? Mm. What did it make you feel like? Mm. What do you think you should do when someone shows you that kind of image? So it's not a lecture. You're asking questions. You're asking lots of questions. And that's what I try and emphasize in the book is just list of questions after questions for different ages of children. So from 8 to 11 and then from 12 to 17 so that they can get a sense of here are some age appropriate questions to ask our kids so that it can be that dialogue. It shouldn't be a monologue. It's not a lecture. It's a discussion. And what about the parent that has never had a conversation about anything sexually with their child? Oh, every parent's talking to their kids about sex. <laughs> There's a lot. It just feels so uncomfortable. Yes. Give us an assignment. Like, what could that look like to start the conversation, maybe with a teenager? For a parent who's never had a conversation with their teen about sex, first, I'd pray for you because you'll need prayer to get over that hump. Yeah. But I think one of the things you can say is, I've heard that there are a lot of teens who have pornography on on their phones. I'm not accusing you of having pornography on your phone, but I wonder about your friends and what they're showing you on their phones. Can you tell me some of the things, like what do they show you on their phones? And of course, the teen is going to start with, oh, mom, or oh, dad, you know, we just look at pictures of each other doing funny things. Well, have those funny things ever included them without their clothes on? Oh, 
well, maybe sometimes if they're answering honestly. And so it's important that we convey our values to our kids so that they know this is what my family values and this is what it doesn't. And one of our chief values is that we don't look at pictures without their clothes on. I think we should use the word pornography judiciously also because it has such a a negative tone to it. I mean, it should have a negative tone to it. But I often refer to pictures of people without their clothes on just to be more specific with our kids and not to sort of touch the hot button of pornography, but just to talk about people without their clothes Mm. on. I think it's great wisdom and advice to encourage parents to start talking about this. This Mm -hmm. is a, I mean, it was a joke 30, 40 years ago that a parent couldn't talk to their kids about sex. You know, my mom and dad never, we never had a conversation. A lot of us grew up in homes where it was taboo to talk about. Right. That is not the day we live in anymore. No, We have to have these conversations. Absolutely. It's a requirement. The cell phone's a wonderful, unbelievable gift, but the danger that we put in a kid's hands Mm -hmm. basically says to a parent, you cannot give that device to your kid without saying we're going to start talking about things right including this because we have to and we're called by god right. to direct and lead our kids that way so i don't care how scary it is and it is scary it is you got to enter into that tunnel and say okay god i'm going to go in there and we're going to start a conversation i love what you said and a lot of that will be listening and asking yes. asking questions yes. and listening to open up their their minds so that they'll feel like we're trusted David Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families. The kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. If you would like to purchase the CD of today's program, email us at radio at powertochange.org.au or go to the podcast section of our website, families.powertochange.org.au, where you'll find lots of information, news and resources. You're invited back tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today presented by Power to Change in conjunction with this radio station.